0: Happy Anniversary, Transit Church. Here I am, Pastor Jeff, just coming to you all, reflecting on where we've been and the journey that God has brought us on in this last year. I can't help but reflect on Jesus' words in Matthew 16 where he's talking to his his closest friends, the disciples, and he simply remarks that, uh, that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I think really any church that starts from from nothing and becomes something is a miracle of God. And so we are a miracle and we're one year old. So happy birthday. When I think about the journey that we've traveled, you have to go all the way back to North Carolina where we dared to believe that God would take just me and my family to partner with Him and build a church, build His church. And so uh, we took the dare and we set our sights on coming to Alexandria, Virginia, right outside the heart of of DC. Moved in September 2012. My, that was a hard move, at least for my family it was. And uh, we got ourselves settled and really a month later we began having community groups in our home. Uh, Sunday afternoons, y'all remember that? God really began to build a church right in the midst of our townhouse in Kingstown in April of last year. A whole year ago um, we launched. Over this last year, we've seen God do some great things. We started meeting in Hayfield Secondary School, and by God's grace, we have added to our number, we've added community groups, uh, more opportunities for people to uh, be the, the church that comes together during the week, where we exhort each other, where we fellowship, and you know, more importantly, how we rub against each other so that we would encourage each other in the gospel. Along with that, we're partnering uh, with Organizations, we featured Orphan Sunday uh, this past November. We have the the exciting opportunity to to baptize some new believers. This is an exciting time. It's an exciting time to see all that God is doing um, in our church, and the anticipation that I have is he's not going to do things in our church, but there's great things that he's going to do through us in our city. The journey is just beginning. I'm glad that you're a part. Let's stay together on the journey. All right, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John. Chapter 20, verse 21, hold your finger there. We're going to get to it in a few seconds. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the idea of my sermon before we uh, read the passage today for once. But I'm going to pray for, uh, pray for us and our time together. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for mothers. We celebrate them today. Uh, I'm re- uh, recalling the, the words of uh, a great pastor that said that mothers today will... Uh, will never be celebrated, even by their families who love them as much as they are loved in Jesus. And so we pray today that um, moms in the room, aspiring moms here as well, would feel loved by Jesus, that they would gain their worth not from what they do, even the title of mom, as precious as they, as that is, or how well their their family treats them, but they would gain their worth and their value from the God who laid down his life for them, the, the ultimate display of sacrificial and unconditional love for them. His name is Jesus. We thank you for our time together today. We thank you for the gathering of your church. We thank you for your gospel, the good news of a God that loves not just moms, but loves us all enough to live perfectly because we couldn't. And by God's plan, go to the cross to die in our place for our sin. Lord, may we see your gospel in today's sermon. May may you draw us close to you by the gospel. May you change us by your gospel. And we pray that that we would love you more. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And amen. All right, so two weeks ago, we celebrated our one-year anniversary. And what I'm endeavoring to do in the two preceding weeks is to talk about the church, is to talk about who we are as a church, what the church is at large, and what God has, has called us to as a church. Last week, we looked at a passage of scripture which detailed the amazing story of the beginning of the church. Jesus took a handful of misfit men and women who became his closest followers and closest friends, and In the midst of them just hanging around with him, 2,000 years later, we have this global phenomenon of billions of people who are believers and followers of, lovers of, of Jesus. And so, to do a little bit of review, in Matthew 16, Jesus told this small band of disciples, he said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. Shortly thereafter, Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he's arrested, he's tried by his own people and then he's turned over to the Roman authorities and he's tried again and eventually he's crucified. He's crucified in such a a way that he dies, it's the purpose of crucifixion. He's crucified because he committed the crime supposedly of blasphemy, of saying that he was God which was true. He dies through that crucifixion. He was buried, and by the the miracle of God, the Holy Spirit raises him back to life, just as he has predicted, just as he had predicted. After his resurrection, he gave that fledgling group of disciples a mission. And that mission was to go and make disciples of all nations. We see that in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 19. And so what happens next in the life of this fledgling church is really, really the, the beginning of the amazing story of the church of which we are the recipients today. So in the book of Acts, we read of Jesus' priorities to empower his disciples to be his witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says these words. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus intends for us to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, we see Pentecost happens. In the Old Testament, Pentecost was an agricultural celebration. It was a feast that celebrated God bringing about the harvest. And Jesus takes the opportunity when Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world at that time had gathered into Jerusalem and, and on Pentecost, when they usually celebrate, the, the thank God for bringing the harvest, he pours out his spirit as he had prophesied in the book of, of Joel. And the neat thing is this, this event completely transformed that church. In many ways, it formed it to be... All that God had intended it to be. The Holy Spirit is poured out on those 120 disciples. And because of Peter's preaching of the good news of what God had done through Jesus, Scripture tells us 3,000 people came to faith in one day. They were added to the church that day. And as we read, as we read last week, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see in this a glimpse of what the church was supposed to be. We see people who had come together in the power of, of God to, to be his church. We see God at work amongst his people. We see people loving each other, of using uh, the, the good fortune that God had given them to help other people. We see them sharing what they believed about Jesus with other people. We see them being kind and benevolent toward each other. We see the church both forming and growing. And I would tell you what we see in Acts chapter 2 is what the church should be, and I would also add to this, this is what the transit aims to be. And so the question for us today as, as we sort of uh, finish our, uh, you know, our celebration of, of our one-year anniversary as a church is, is, what kind of church has God called us to be? Uh, I just finished a membership class, and so, um, of course, this is freshly on my mind. For those of you that were in the membership class, bear with me because I'm going to repeat some of the things that I said in there. But these are this is worth you hearing. For those of you have, that have yet to go through the membership class, what kind of the, what kind of church is the transit? I get asked that question a lot. You know, there's there's people that want to put a denomination on uh, a church. Tr- every every church leans in one way or another, denominationally, theologically, what you do and what you believe. And so this is the way that I usually describe who we are as a church. Firstly, we're Christian. That means we're followers of Jesus. In, in the scriptures, that word wasn't used a lot, but it connotes little Christ, followers of, of Jesus, the God-man. Secondly, we, we are evangelical. This connects us with the uh, historic traditions of our, of our church. Evangelicalism. Evangel- evangelicals rightly believe that foundationally, the, the Bible that we have in the original manuscripts are God's word to us, that the scriptures convey all that God wanted us to know about Himself. They're inerrant, authoritative. Evangelicals would believe in a triune God God the Father, Son. Holy Spirit, that God is one person, one, one person, three entities, one God, three persons rather. We believe in the day of, G- day of Jesus. Evangel- evangelicals will believe in uh, the second person of the Trinity existed in eternity, incarnated himself as a man in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is, is truly God, truly man evangelicals would believe in the tenets of the gospel, that God created a good world, that the pinnacle of his creation were men and women like you and I, and that this holy, righteous, just God gave an opportunity for man to exist in perfection with him, but man sinned, and sin pervaded both human beings, and our world. And God's plan of redemption was through a covenant people called the nation of Israel. And that covenant people could never obey God. And so God's plan of redemption was for him to send his own son, the second person of the Trinity, and that Jesus would be incarnated as a man, would live a perfect life, completely doing what Adam and Eve could not do. And that by God's plan, that Jesus goes to the cross to die for you and I if we repent of our sins and trust in Him. Evangelicals will believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that brings life to the person and also it's by which we live the life that we live on earth. I, I could go on and on about evangelicalism. The transit is a, is a reformed church. We're theologically reformed. Perhaps you that word sounds different to you. Perhaps it sounds funny to you. But theologically, it basically, I'm going to just boil it down to just a few words, is we believe that we serve a big God, that he is sovereign, that that God doesn't have you on strings um, like a robot telling you what to do and making every decision for you. But it says that we view Scripture as God-centered and not man-centered. And to say that means that, you know, to be man-centered would be, would, would be to suggest that, um, it's, it, it, that my life and what I do, the, the world revolves around me. But scripture gives a perspective that the, the Bible and the life that we should live should be God-centered. That God takes first action and that we have a response to make. Lastly, I would say that we're missional, and that word connotes missionary, and that really is the, the brunt of my sermon today. We are a missional church, okay? We, want, we aspire to be a missional church. And so, pointing to our scripture today, John 20, 21, let's read these words together. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. I want you to, to notice three things from this particular text. Actually, two things, and then I'm going to add one at the end. The first thing is Jesus came because he was sent by God. The scripture says that Jesus was sent by God. Close to over 40 times in the Gospel of John alone, in John's Gospel, Jesus himself repeatedly says that he was sent from heaven to earth on a mission by God the Father. John 6:38 Jesus says these words, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. Likewise in John chapter 8 verse 18 Jesus says, I am the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Later in Paul's writings, Paul testifies to this very same thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. God sent his own son in flesh like ours. And so the question is, what exactly was Jesus sent to do? I mean, what was his specific mission that God had for him? We are fortunate that Jesus, not necessarily in this verse, but throughout the scriptures, Jesus helps us out. He tells us why God sent him on mission from eternity to exist on earth. Matthew 5, 17, 18 is, is where Jesus sort of uh folds this out for us. And as a precursor to that, Jesus describes his mission as, as fulfilling the entirety of all of what the old testament um, old testament prophesies about him. And so Jesus says in, in in Matthew 5, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so Jesus came to fulfill all that was anticipated about him in the scriptures. One of the, one of the ways that the Old Testament unfolds who Jesus is is with a threefold view of, of offices that show precursor of who Jesus is and how Jesus actually fulfilled those, fulfills those in the New Testament. And those are prophet, priest, and king. If you look at the Old Testament, the people that stand out, okay, of, of all the people that we see interacting in our Old Testament, we see prophets, we see priests, and we see kings. And in many ways, all of these are significant because they point to who Jesus would uh, who he is, and what he would fulfill in his manly office, kingly office on earth. And so firstly, Jesus is, is the prophet. The Old Testament prophet represented God to people. They either saw visions or uh, heard from God in a way that they were to deliver it to the people, that told the people how they were to, to live their lives under God's rule and under his care. The prophet revealed God's word. And so, as a prophet, scripture tells us in in John chapter 1, Jesus is superior to all the Old Testament prophets. In fact, John 1 says that Jesus was the word. In verse 14, it says that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the word incarnate. And so, As a prophet, Jesus was sent to confront us and call us to repentance of sin. Not only is Jesus a prophet, but Scripture tells us that Jesus was a priest. What did the priests do in the Old Testament? They humbly um, served between God and man. They mediated between the people. A priest heard the people's prayers and their confession of sin and presented those to God, oftentimes Offering a sacrifice for the people. And so Jesus comes as a priest. The, the book of Hebrews is a book that, in many ways, tells us about the priesthood of Jesus, about his, his deity, but also about his priesthood. And Philippians 2 says that Jesus comes humbly as a priest. That though he was God, he became human, to identify with who we are in every respect, being tempted, condescending to to live in the body, and as a human being, suffering in, in every way that we have suffered. And as a priest, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. And so God sends Jesus as a prophet, he sends him as a priest, but he also sends him as a king. Old Testament kings, um, I, I would tell you, Old Testament kings were, were pseudo kings because the real king for the nation of Israel as the people, as the covenant people of God, their real king was God himself. And so the, the kings that God gave to the nation of Israel, uh, they were supposed to, to stand in God's stead to rule over lands and to reign over people, but always to point them in his rulership, to the real true king, which was, which was God. And so Jesus came as a king. He came as a king, command, and he commands us to relinquish authority of our own lives in, in every way, and to uh, lay down our own crowns and dismiss our own thrones to make Jesus Lord of our life. In fact, when we see in Scripture that the Bible is telling us that Jesus is, is Lord, really it, it, that, that, that's, a, that's a shorthand to say Jesus truly is King. He's King of all kings. So God sends Jesus to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. The Scripture says in John 21 that just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so we're sent by Jesus. Believers are, sending, are sent by Jesus. That's my second point. And so believers are sent on mission into the world. You know, this, this term mission is from uh, the Latin word misiel. Okay, It means, it means to sin. Send. Jesus sends his followers out into the world with his gospel to make other followers who go out into the world, who make other followers who go out into the world. It's, it's, it's supposed to happen really in perpetuity all the way into eternity. And so for believers to be sent by Jesus, the mission of God has to begin in our own hearts. And that's done by the gospel. And what what does the gospel do for us? Well, firstly, it tells us what God has done. What God has done by sending his, sending his son into the world to do what we couldn't do, to live a perfect life, to absorb or propitiate The wrath of God for us to to expiate, to cover over our sin, to cleanse us, make us acceptable to God. And then by the gospel, Jesus totally reorients us in terms of our identity. His gospel allows us not to live for ourselves anymore, but he makes us a part of his family. He adopts us. He calls us children. He calls us sons. He makes us his own. The gospel says that I don't have to live to do things for God to earn his favor. I earn God's favor when I trust in Jesus because it's not what I do for God. It's what God has done for me. And so the gospel requires a response. And that response is repentance of my sin, faith in Jesus, and to offer him true worship. And I think the epitome of what it means to be sent by Jesus is what we see in the book of Acts. What we see happening in the life of those, those first believers as they were impacted by, you know, by ordinary men who had lived with Jesus and who had gained a passion for this, this man who seemed to be just like them, but who resurrected from the, from the dead and proved himself to be God and to be God in power. And so we see a simple man named Ananias who God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to and said, go and um, meet a, a man named Paul who I've spoken to and told him how he'll, how he'll suffer my, for my sin, for, uh, suffer for my sake. And Ananias, in fear, goes and prays for Paul and he opens Paul's eyes. Ananias was sent to, to minister to Paul We read later that uh, Paul, empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, links up with a guy named Barnabas. And they're in Antioch and they're praying and the Holy Spirit uh, sends a word of God. And it says, separate yourselves and go on a mission, become missionaries to to the Gentiles in the far lands. And so Paul and Barnabas go from city to city to city to city, preaching the gospel and making disciples. They're, They're sent. We see in, in Paul's epistles guys like Timothy and Titus who, because they're named in the Bible and they have books after their, you know, named after them, we think that they're giants in the faith, but I, I would tell you people like Timothy and, and Titus and, and even Paul, for that matter, they're people like you and I, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're sent by God, and God does great things through them sending them amongst people to be His representatives on the earth and to carry the, the, the entrusted mission, message and mission of the gospel. And so John 20, 20 tells us, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm, I'm sending you. These are commissioning words. This is, this is Jesus taking His followers and He's commissioning them to, to do what Jesus could no longer do on the earth because he left and ascended back to heaven. The first thing he says is, uh, is peace be with you. Peace be with you was a, a, a typical term. It was a, a greeting that you give to your close friends. It was a benediction that you would say as you were departing from your friends. But there, there's something really special about Jesus saying peace be with you. This, this is post-resurrection. Uh, if you read the account of of, uh, of John chapter 20, Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. He is, um, the stone has been rolled away. Um, there's two angels in John's account that, that meet Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They're sitting on the stone. They, they uh, address these two ladies. And they say, don't look for Jesus because he's not here. And all of a sudden, pff, Jesus appears. And, you know, of, of course, it scares him a little bit. And the angel says, go tell the disciples what, what we've talked about and what's happened, that Jesus is not dead, his body's not here, that he's alive. And so verse 21 comes on the heels of that. These ladies actually do what the angels say, what Jesus tells them to do. They go, they address the disciples, and in a few verses before verse 21, it tells us uh, on the same night, this is, this is Easter, The same night, Jesus appears before the disciples. And he says, peace be with you. Because they would have been, I mean, they would have been like, I mean, scared to death. Think about that. Your best friend that you knew, that you saw um, crucified on a tree. And then all of a sudden he's appeared before you. And so he gives them this, this sign of peace, this shalom. He's saying, peace be with you," because I know you're going to be scared when when you see me. Um, But you also need my peace to do what I'm about to tell you to do. He was leaving them his peace. And this is likely very much close to what he told them in John 14, 27. He says here, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so this peace was for them. He was saying, you're going to need peace for your souls to be able to go and do the thing that I'm commissioning you to do as I'm sending you out. I'm giving you a part of me, a part of the peace that I have as the father has sent me. So I'm sending you. You're going to need my peace. And so we should read in this then that Jesus sends them out, firstly, to be ambassadors. What is an what is an ambassador? In today's world, an ambassador is uh, a dignitary, uh, and, an envoy, a messenger from from one nation that goes to uh, another foreign nation, and he takes a message that's not his own, and he presents that message in that foreign land. And so Jesus is commissioning these disciples to be ambassadors. Second Corinthians 518 says this about this idea of ambassadors. It says that we ourselves are ambassadors for Christ, that God makes his appeal through us and God entrusts us with a message. And the message that he entrusts us with is a message of reconciliation. So God uses us as ambassadors to the whole world that through us, we might we might. Embody not just our own message, saying whatever we want to, but we might proclaim the message that Jesus has sent us out with that He's commissioned us to carry, that speaks of, of Him and what He's come to do. And He entrusts us with that. And that message is a special message, It's, it's that you can be that, that people outside of God can be reconciled to Him through the person and the work of Jesus. The man who's existed from eternity and died on the cross in our place for our sin. We're ambassadors to carry that message. Secondly, Jesus is saying here that the disciples are sent to be witnesses to the truth. Now, these disciples here, this is post-resurrection. This is, this is Easter, the day of Easter when Jesus got up out of the grave. And what were those witnesses primarily supposed to do? They were supposed to witness that Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive. They were supposed to be witnesses to the truth that God is alive, walking around in his flesh, a glorified body. Jesus, as he said he would, rose from the dead. And I would tell you, Jesus sends us to proclaim that same truth, that there is a God who died, but yet is very much alive very much alive in this world, living in us by his Holy Spirit to proclaim who he is to a world that desperately needs him. He sent his disciples to to minister. And that's what we see them doing. In the book of Acts, through Paul's epistles, what does a minister do? A minister attends the needs of others. And we live in a world that has all kinds of needs. Us in here, all of us, whether you want to admit it or not, we have, we have all kinds of needs. And so Jesus sends us to attend to the needs of the world that he's put us in. He's not asking us to go and solve the, the, the heady problems of the world. But he, he is asking us to, to be attuned to the needs of our own family, to be attuned to the needs within our own church body, to be attuned to the needs of our neighbor, of those that we work with, to those that we in those happenstance encounters that that we have as we're going about our lives. Jesus sent those disciples. Into the world. The world here means the cosmos. It means the, the literal world that they existed in, he sent them out into uh, Acts 1, 8 says Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. He sent them out physically to go in places where people had not yet heard about Jesus, had not heard about him. And to, as an ambassador, proclaim all that Jesus had taught them about himself. We should also see that Jesus sent them out into the world system. And the world system would be, uh, it would be the, the existence about us that's not submitted to to God, All that's bad about our world that doesn't acknowledge God, that doesn't submit to who he is and his rulership over them. Lastly, he sent them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, this is not the most important, but this is key. It's, it's mostly key for, uh, as an example of how Jesus lived his life. Jesus was one person, two natures, fully divine, fully human. But in many ways, Jesus on, in, in this world lived his life full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived his life empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, we see the, the, the Trinity showing up. God the Father speaks out of heaven This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. We see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. That's him, him being commissioned to do what God had called him to do. And then he shows up in the, in the temple and he opens Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord has, has appointed me to go and to care for the needs of, of those who are about me, to set captives free, to heal the sick, to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus lived his life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is, a, this, is this neat thing that happens Immediately after John 20, 21, in verse 22, it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. Jesus literally blew his breath on them. Hopefully he had good breath. And he said, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we shouldn't read these thinking that the Holy Spirit came and fell on the disciples at that point like it did at Pentecost. Because Jesus, before these words, had already said, um, When I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit existed on the earth. Obviously, He's operating in and through people, but the outpouring of the Spirit didn't happen until Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, a few days later. But what Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to, I'm, this is a sign and symbol, uh, this is a precursor for what's about to happen. You, in order for me to commission you and send you to do all that I'm going to have you do, you need to be empowered. You need some courage. You need some oomph. You need some stuff in you that you don't yet have. And he was doing that right here in John 20, 21, 22. And so the Father sends Jesus. Jesus sends the believers. And lastly, because the believers in Jesus, are the church. The church isn't a building. The, the church is people. Jesus also sends his church. And this is where we get the idea of being missional. You know, the, the missional church is shaped by the idea that every believer is to live on mission. Perhaps you grew up going to church and your church had a fellowship hall. Y'all remember that? Churches with fellowship halls? This, this is our fellowship hall. So, um, and so this is how it was in the church that, that my family frequented. It's Baptist church. So, you know, church, wooden floors, wooden pews that used to creak, um, allowed air conditioning, kind of like this one that we we're experiencing here in the cafeteria. And uh, after church was over, at least once a month, the church ladies would prepare this, I mean, just this delicious meal. Usually fried chicken, some, uh, some ham, green beans, grease all in them. You know, it they, they makes it good. Uh, what else? Mashed potatoes, nice roll, and some kind of dessert that you, you didn't even have to know what it was. You just eat it, okay? That's what the fellowship hall was for. Between the sanctuary, all right, so let me, the, theologically, the, you're the sanctuary. We used to call it the sanctuary, right? All right, so between the sanctuary, I didn't want you to believe that I was like teaching heresy. All right, between the sanctuary, you had to go through this little, out, you know, this little hallway to get to the fellowship hall. Almost in every church that I, that I experienced. But in this hallway, you had a, all these pictures on the wall, right? And these pictures on the wall were accompanied by a big map, okay? The pictures were the missionaries that that church were supporting or had sent out, and the map had a string from their picture to the place where they were, all right? And so our, our picture of missionaries It's this idea of of people who are are from a church, being trained up in a church, that God has given this extraordinary call, and they get trained up. They do some fundraising. The church supports them. Individual people support them. And then we send them off. And they go to foreign lands, and we remember them uh, either by their picture. We talk about them every once in a while. And, you know, every two or three years, they actually come back with their family and spend a little bit of time with us. That's our picture of missionary. I want you to get rid of that picture. All right. That that still happens today. Prayerfully, some of you are called to foreign missions. But this is the deal. When God sends us, he sends us as missionaries. And he's not necessarily sending y'all across the country. He's not sending you. He's not asking you to go to China or to go to Africa or to go to London, one of my favorite cities in in the world. He's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to go to your neighbor. He's asking you to go to that coworker. He's asking you to, to, to take the message and the, the missional aspect of the gospel and that family that you always meet in the playground is to befriend them and to get to, to understand who they are and what their needs are and give them what you have. a joy and life and faith in Jesus. That's what missional. That's what it means. And so in the missional church, collectively, we all move outside the walls of our church. We move outside the walls of our Christian homes. We move outside of our church building because we don't even have a church building. Y'all know that. This is, this is a school. And we do that in order to engage, engage people with the gospel. And so we're sent on mission. Um, but Jesus doesn't send us alone. He says these neat words when he commissions the disciples in Matthew 28. He says, and lo, I'm with you always. And so we have this this beautiful picture of being sent, but we have the sender that goes along with us as well. Jesus sends us with himself, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Missional churches engage the people with the, the redemptive message of the gospel. And this is the, the neat thing about the message that we have. And it's, it's not just a, a hard-nosed message that says, you're a sinner, get saved. It's, it's, in fact, it's not that message at all. It's a message that comes with compassion, that comes, with, uh, that comes to meet the felt needs of those who are around you. It's a message that Jesus says, we come to not just uh, offer Salvation. will we come to, to offer joy and to heal a, a hurting heart, to mend a soul that's, that's broken apart because of a tough life that it's lived. This is what Jesus articulates in Luke 4 when he stands up and, and says what Isaiah said. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus goes on in Luke 19.10, and he says this. He says, I've came to seek and save those who are lost, those who um, who are far away from God because of, uh, because of their experience, because of how they grew up, or just because of their waywardness, the iniquity in us that makes us want to do what we want to do without anyone telling us what we should do. Jesus has come for those kinds of people. And all of us in here, whether you know Jesus or not, you were at some point like that in your life. Perhaps you still are. Lastly, being sent by Jesus as as the Father sent him means that we get to sow. I didn't say we have to sow. We get to sow seeds of the gospel in the soil of the culture that we live in, and that means that we have the opportunity to engage our culture, and scripture calls us to be salt and light in the midst of the world that we live in, and I don't cook. I eat a lot, but I don't cook very often. I I make, my specialty is like breakfast on Saturday. I make pancakes, all right? That's, that's, That's it, but I'm, you know, from watching my wife cook, I know that salt has a uh, a special thing that it does for our food. It preserves it, but it also makes it taste better. Almost everything tastes better with a little bit of salt on it. And, and you know, this, this picture of us being salt is that we make the world taste a little bit better just by us being in it. And, of course, the, 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 the Bible gives us this picture of we're also light. What does light do? It dispels darkness. What would the world be without the testimony and the witness of those who trust in the true light be without us in the world? It'd be a very dark place. God has called you to be salt and light. And so let's let's bring this down to some practicalities in terms of the transit. I, I believe that John twenty twenty one ties our mission into Jesus mission. It ties our mission into Jesus mission. In other words, we have the opportunity to join God in this mission. So here's the mission of the transit. The transit exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in, in, in the DC region. This is not a special mission, because as I said last week, you know, every church has the mission to make disciples. And we do it two ways. We make disciples to Christ and in Christ. That means we find people who don't know Jesus and through any means that we have, we introduce him and give them the great message that we have of a God that loves them enough to die in their place for their sin. But it also means that we disciple those who are in the church to help them grow to maturity in the faith. That, that God would, by his spirit, make them all that he intended for them to be as they walk the earth into eternity. And so here's a question. How do we join Jesus on his mission? How do we join Jesus on his mission? And I, you know, I, I would say this is what we want to do. We, we've been a, a year old. And so we want to we want to dive into a mission. Right. Let's do what God intends for the mission of his church. Let me give you one implication of this first. Jesus said mission comes at a cost. Mission comes at a cost. And, and, and this, is the, this is the warning of, of being a Christian. Because this, this, this isn't a special um, cost for us as a church. It's just the cost of being a Christian. And, and here it is. If Jesus being sent into the world from eternity means that he would give up his life for those that God loves and was calling to himself, We aren't Jesus, but being sent by Jesus isn't gonna be less costly for us. It will cause us to give some things up. It will cause us to deny ourselves, pick up a cross and follow Jesus, as he says in Luke 9. That's the implication. The rest of these are practicalities. First, the mission begins with prayer. I'm gonna read to you one of my favorite passages of scripture. Luke 17, Jesus is praying high priestly prayer. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in agony as he's about to suffer for the sins of the world. And in verse 18 through 21, Jesus prays this prayer for people like you and me. He says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He's talking about us. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for also those who will believe in me through their word, that they, may be, uh, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is... Jesus on the eve of commissioning the disciples to send them with this great mission of making disciples in the world. And he prays to God, the father, that God would be with them, that he protect them, that he wouldn't take them out of the world. But he would protect them from the evil one and that much like Jesus was sent, God would send them in the same vein. And so our, our, our mission has to start with prayer. And, you know, of, of the many things that I want us to, to do and do well is I want us, beyond having lots of people and, and, and doing lots of activity within our city, I want us to be people who are people of prayer. Because if we do the mission without prayer, then we're doing it in our own strength. If we do the mission without prayer, then perhaps we're doing things that we want to do and we're not tapping into that thing that God would have us do. And so the mission, prayer precedes the mission. And so really for the, uh, we've been a praying church in our community groups. We, we pray before our services, but I want us to take this one notch higher. We're, we're going to start a, a group of people who want to pray. I'll, I'll, I'll call the a community group. It's not going to really be a community group because it's not going uh, to be a lot of social activity to it. But I want to call those people who, who like to pray, those who want to learn to pray, and those who would give of your time to, to pray for the transit and the things that God is calling us to. We'll do this once a month. We'll do it on a Sunday night. And we'll do it around the, the area for those who uh, choose to host it, and you'll hear about it. We want to be a church that precedes our mission by prayer. Secondly, um, I'm going to skip this one. You're going to see another there. Make the transit at your church. Let me just let me just say this. You know, the tendency is. I, I said I'm going to skip it. Just, I mean, it's going to be a bullet up there, right? All right, I got to go ahead and say it. A lot of times in a young church, you, you have a tendency to look. This um, this is yeah, you know, this is Jeff's church because he planted the church, and yeah, I'm, I planted the church, and I've, I've got a lot invested in this. My family has a lot invested in this endeavor of the transit. But this isn't Jeff's church. This is your church as much as it's my church. Actually, this is Jesus' church, and we are partnering with him. Um, The way that you carry the mission is by calling this your church. This is your church, folks. This isn't Jeff's church. Y'all believe that? This This is your church. Thirdly, um, this, to, to, to be missional. We've got to embrace what God has called us to in terms of understanding the missionary role of the local church. God has called us um, out of our Christian homes, out of our Christian church, to engage our neighborhood, to engage our city, and then, and then go to the uttermost parts of the world. And that really is the, the progress of the gospel. And so let's not get ahead of ourselves. God has a work for us because we're situated right here in Kingstown um, to be salt and light right here. And I want to be a local church. I want to be so attuned to the needs of the people that, that frequent this area within a five mile radius of here. And you all know in D.C., five miles is a long way because it's like Thousands of people packed in townhouses and apartments and condominiums between here and wherever that five mile limit is. If you live outside of the five miles, I'm not saying we don't love you too. We do. But we want to be a local church. We want to be so attuned to what God is doing here. And we want to hear his voice as to what he wants to do in this neighborhood, in the city of of Alexandria and this D.C. Metro region. And we want to we want to fulfill what God has called us as a church to do. In that regard. And then lastly, I think this involves uh, evangelism. Mission, you can't get around mission without evangelism. And this is four things for us it's, it's outreach, okay? Outreach is, is just going out and, and, and doing something um, in the name of Jesus that would better the community. You're going to see us um, offer opportunities for outreach. Starting this summer. Partnership with parachurch ministries in our community. We are already partnering with two. We partner with the homeless shelter here in Alexandria. We partner with uh, the Central Union Mission in D.C. Parachurch means come alongside and parachurch ministries aren't the church, but they help the church um, help people who need help. And we are giving financially to those organizations. What you're going to see happen is we're going to have opportunities for you to with hands on labor with these organizations to do what they do. Helping the homeless, taking care of families that they can't can't take of themselves um, in in a myriad of ways. Servant evangelism is um, showing the kindness of God in practical ways. And we want to do that. In fact, we're going to bring in our first uh, missions trip this summer in July. We have a, a sister church that, provide, that, that supports us financially. That's going to send about 10, 10 folks, youth and adults, and they're going to help us kick off some servant evangelism, love our city type of events. Okay? And the, the purpose here is by any means necessary. We want to engage our city with the love of Jesus. We want to be ambassadors as, you know, messengers with this, this, this news of great joy that God has given us, and we want to do it right here in our city. And then lastly, I throw this in because we're a church plant. Um, part of our mission is church planting. Um, we financially support um, the furtherance of the gospel through, thir- through church planting. Right now, we, th- we support three church planters. We're only a year old, and we support three church planters, one whose church launched about six months behind us in North Carolina, There's another one in North Carolina that's in the core group phase, and they'll launch this fall. And, of course, Jesus Rodriguez, who you have have met and have preached here, who's in Mexico City, Mexico. Jesus is fine. I I Skyped with him this week. He's fine and doing well. And, uh, you know, he's experiencing the joys and the travail of being a church planner. And he's doing it cross-culturally. And so we want to get behind the advancement of God's gospel through church planning. That's our mission. You guys ready for mission? I believe you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have challenged us to be a church on mission. And what that means for us is that as Jesus was sent by by God the Father, so he's sent us into a world that we have the privilege of being ambassadors to. And so God, like, like Jesus did, we pray that you would equip us, that you'd empower us by your Holy Spirit, God, that you'd breathe on us to give us courage for the road ahead, God, that we would rely on not our own strength or come up with our own ideas, but that you would help us to be attuned to what you're doing in our city, in our region, and that we jump on board, that we do those things of both practical and spiritual to make Jesus known, to make much of Him who's laid down his life to give us life. We want to be a church that's on mission with Jesus. We pray that you do that in us by your power and by your great grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And amen.